If you enjoy these podcasts, check out Enrico Signoretti's reports and blogs on gigaohm.com. They're about data storage and cloud computing, addressing all the topics covered in Voices in Data Storage. Welcome, everybody. This is Voices in Data Storage, brought to you by Giga. I'm your host, Enrique Signoretti, and my guest for this episode is Pier Giorgio Spagnolati. He is the head of infrastructure at Banca Popolare di Sogno, a prominent bank in the north of Italy, with more than 500 agencies and branch offices located in major cities as well as smaller towns and villages. Pier Giorgio, PJ for his friends, has been promoting and leading the evolution of IT processes and infrastructure in his organization for more than 20 years now. A real fan of innovative technologies and modern computing models, for which he is a strong promoter and early adopter in his organization. And last but not least, he is Vice President of the VMware User Group. Hi, PJ. How are you? Hi, Enrico, and thanks for having me today. No, thank you for your time. And uh, well, by the way, did I miss something about your professional profile? Because I, you know, we, we are always together in the social media chatting about uh, everything. But actually, this is the first time I checked your LinkedIn profile. <laughs> <laughs> no, you didn't miss anything. So uh, thank you for the great introduction as well. Okay, very good. So I had this idea of interviewing you uh, after seeing a beautiful picture you shared with me a few days ago. And it was the it was the first data center of Banca Popolare in Sonjo in the 60s, if I remember well. Yes. Not only a nice picture, but it's always amazing to take a look at the past, especially considering the pace of innovation in the space and how we interact with our banks today, right? Yeah, yeah. It is a picture from a long time ago and... Uh... Uh, you can imagine punching cards and uh, these uh, fridge-like machines that we actually even don't know what uh, they were used for. But uh, it's been a long walk and there, is a, there has been a, a great evolution in, in terms of um, uh, IT infrastructure and the bank's uh, services offered to our customers and internal users, of course. Yeah, and, and I know that you have everything. The mindframe is still there, right? Yeah, the mainframe is still uh, is still there, and it still a, plays a big part uh, in in the overall uh, service architecture and application architecture of the bank, uh, and it's tied to to many many constraints that we have uh, in the software arena, on uh, which we play uh, in the Italian software space uh, for banks in, in particular, and um, there is this kind of uh, uh, break when it when it comes to uh, trying and deciding to uh, get rid of legacy infrastructures, legacy applications, because the bank relies on that so much. So it's not easy to just you know uh, have a, a clean slate and start from scratch with uh, new platforms and new uh, application architectures. Yes, but at the same time, you have this uh, you know nice web application. Most of your customers interact with you with a, a web application today, or even a mobile app. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, starting from, let, let me say, uh, the late 90s, uh, we've been establishing a, an, an internet presence in, at the early stages uh, for the Italian market, at least. And uh, we went on from there, uh, you know, driving the, you know, the innovation from our side and also listening to uh, uh, the, the needs of our customers that ultimately ended in uh, 
developing a number of uh, internet-facing services that actually allow our customers to interact with the bank without going to the branch offices, while the branch offices are still, still there and still play a major role for, for the traditional uh, customer base of ours. How do you manage the interaction that uh, it's still necessary between these front-end layers on the web and uh, with uh, containers and stuff, and on the back you have the, the mind frame still? Yeah, this is definitely one of the biggest challenges that we have, uh, mainly because uh, the new kind of architectures uh, tend to uh, uh, break down barriers and boundaries and allow for extreme scalability, extreme freedom of action in terms of, uh, let's say, the number of environments that you have available for, uh, for your web app developers, uh, to, to, to give an example. Uh, the flip side of that is these, the legacy architecture, which is... Uh, is built upon a, another kind of bank. So uh, batch schedules and um, uh, service hours that don't match the 24 by 7 uh, approach of web applications, so the always-on approach of web applications. And definitely, um, you have to have a predictable scalability model for, for the mainframe, which isn't the case for web application in the first place. So uh, our approach is to mix and match a number of approaches to... Uh, um, seamlessly integrate the traditional transactions that have to be integrated in order to, uh, you know, maximize the uh, investment protection that we have done in the legacy application. And at the same time, uh, find out uh, uh, if there are any other application architecture model available so that we can uh, give uh, further scalability and security and, uh, uh, you know, ease of use for our customers. So it's a constant challenge. It's a constant, constant research. Uh, in the market to, to, to find a specific um, archi architectural uh, solution that can allow us to bring the two worlds together. Yeah, and, and we mentioned at the moment, uh, sorry, and, uh, and we mentioned uh, the mindframe on one side and the leading edge, which is container uh, on the other. But actually, there are two other technologies that I didn't mention. So there is all the, uh, I don't even know if we can define it legacy, but actually, all the, um, the rest of your infrastructure, okay, that probably is made out of a lot of server, virtual machine now. And uh, on the other hand, I'm sure you're looking at the cloud computing also, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and the funny thing is that it used to be the, uh, the bleeding edge of our uh, infrastructure. I mean, virtual machines, for example. And over time, they, be, they became the traditional workload, not the legacy one, just because it sounds better. But uh, <laughs> that's pretty much what they they became to uh, to, to, to be. So uh, we have uh, say one thousand five hundred VMs uh, now running the majority of uh, internet and internet services for for our internal and external customers. And we are exploring definitely the chance of uh, expanding into a hybrid cloud scenario to uh, you know, take advantage of the, uh, of the value that, cloud, that the cloud can give us in terms of flexibility, scalability, and uh, geographic dispersion of your application architecture and so on and so, and so forth. So okay, you, you have everything, uh, the mindframe, then the VMware infrastructure, uh, let, let's call it more traditional uh, on-premises server infrastructure, okay? And then the, the container, and now the cloud. 
So, but uh, everything uh, uh, is about, uh, you know, how you manage data on top of it. And you have uh, a few challenges, I think, about not only uh, what everybody else uh, is living today with GDPR, for example, in Europe, mm-hmm. but also banking regulations and stuff. So how do you manage this data layer on top? So all this data moving from one, uh, one uh, silos to the other. And uh, yeah. and all the you know all the challenges that there are on top of it. Yeah, there, there are a number of challenges in managing all the aspects that are tied to data management in general. Some of them are on the technical side, but over time, I, I can safely say that those uh, specific challenges might be uh, solved by you know new platforms, new uh, protocols, and paradigms that, that you can. Uh, used to uh, to address specific um, purposes. For example, uh, we don't rely on uh, old flash storage on the mainframe because we just don't need it, but we rely massively on old flash storage for uh, the traditional workloads in, uh, with, with the VMs because we need uh, fast performance and, um, and the lower latencies for uh, uh, online workloads. And this is just an example of uh, how you have to uh, uh, keep in mind the exact uh, requirements that you have in uh, your application layers. But the very complex uh, challenges come, as you said, from uh, uh, the, uh, the regulatory environments and the, the laws that the, banks, that the bank has to uh, respect in order to, uh, to, to do its job. So it's not only GDPR, it's also uh, MIFID 2 PSD2, and a number of regulations that come from the central authorities, be it generally speaking, the, uh, the ECB. In this case, the, uh, there is uh, a, a strong attention from these central authorities and the way that you're uh, dealing with this specific topic. So uh, they have a strong focus on how you manage uh, data and security, uh, on how you manage privacy, on how you uh, manage the externalization of your internal services to uh, cloud providers or uh, traditional outsources. So um, on, one, on one hand, you have these regulators that know the market and know that they have to uh, uh, define boundaries to allow um, the, the banks, for, in my case, to operate safely. And the, the flip side of that is that uh, many uh, of my colleagues uh, and even in other banks have a problem with, uh, with the perception of security and privacy and how it goes on with, uh, with the technology. So the, the general rule, the traditional general rule is that a bank cannot go to the cloud because of uh, privacy and security concerns. But they end up to be only concerns because if, you, because if you look at the contracts, if you look at the actual structure of the typical uh, massive cloud provider, they go way beyond the, the requirements that you may have. So it all boils down to uh, really getting into the details of the contracts, in the uh, best practices that uh, you can share with these with, with these actors, and uh, employ some kind of flexibility in your internal regulations and the external ones to figure out if you're really compliant with the general regulations of the ECB. In our case, you are telling something really, really interesting here. In, in practice, you are telling us that the cloud provider has better you know security and better data governance that you can provide uh, on your own. Right. Yes. Yes. I, I can claim that because I think that you can safely say that just by looking at the numbers. Uh, generally speaking, uh, except for huge banks, maybe 
the the scale that you have to deal with uh, on a daily basis doesn't even compare to uh, global cloud providers. So you cannot industrialize these kind of uh, approaches to, say, privacy or security. And they have to have to because they, they uh, need to deal with not only banks, but also uh, um, healthcare or uh, uh, oil and gas. So different kind of markets that uh, each own has uh, its own specific constraints and requirements. So they have to raise the bar when it comes to security and privacy, generally speaking. Uh, what's up to, to, to the customer, to the actual end user, in my opinion, is to do the, the proper due diligence because you have to be aware of their practices. So you cannot just rely and trust the cloud provider to do his job. You have to uh, do a, a proper due diligence and uh, be a, a perfect auditor when it comes to running the services and controlling that the services is running uh, as you might expect. At the end of the day, my opinion is that uh, the responsibility for the availability and performance of the services that you put on in the cloud is still yours. So uh, you are, uh, you know, you have a vested interest in making sure that the cloud provider is acting accordingly. Right. So you, you have to be, uh, it's a two-phase thing. So at the beginning, you have to design the services in a way that you can't rely too much on the, on the infrastructure that the, the service provider has. So you, uh, you design for fail. Okay. On the other... Yeah, absolutely. On the other side, you say, okay, but I want to check constantly if they are delivering, okay, on their promises. Exactly, that's the point. But uh, who manages the integration between the cloud and, uh, you know, and the rest of your infrastructure? I know that you are, you have a a pretty advanced infrastructure, okay? So if you moved from uh, uh, the mainframe to VMware kind of infrastructure and then containers, moving the containers to the cloud, it's easy. But actually, relatively easy, uh, I would say, but actually, Providers uh, like Amazon or Microsoft, they, they give you a lot of services that are, you know, databases, that are, you know, uh, load balancer and stuff. So you don't have to build everything on, on your own, right? Do you have somebody that helps you in this journey? Well, uh, not actually. And that's because, uh, you know, the, the bank traditionally uh, has had this, uh, this uh, uh, leverage on uh, the, the specific uh, legacy infrastructure, which has a, a peculiar thing, the application are tightly coupled to the underlying infrastructure. So you are used to have this kind of, uh, of coupling. And when it comes to decoupling, so starting with virtualization and then containers and then uh, function as a service, serverless computing, the more you move towards this kind of evolution, the more you have to have your own understanding of your application nature and architecture, right? So this is something that you have to, to have in your uh, know-how. And uh, ultimately, that's the, the new kind of job that you have to do because it doesn't matter that much where you put your workloads. It matters if you know uh, exactly, exactly why you're making these specific choices using that specific cloud provider, using that specific application architecture. You did that specific middleware or, uh, or paradigm in terms of uh, development. So uh, I think that this is a process that we have to, uh, to go through as uh, traditional uh, IT uh, managers. And uh, it also helps uh, to interact with the cloud because you learn a lot of things from people that have to deal with uh, um, 
infrastructure and services and middleware at scale. So the, the ultimate uh, thing and the result that you get from, from that is that you probably can generally scale down this approach and uh, adopt at least some of the, of the uh, governance models that they have and put it back in, uh, in your on-prem infrastructure and architecture uh, that you're using for uh, your applications. Okay, so somehow you are saying that uh, you built the knowledge over time. And, uh, yes. and the idea is now that you understand what could be the next step. Okay, it's common sense. But uh, that raises another question. Does the banking community somehow share this kind of uh, common uh, knowledge or uh, is it seen as a competitive advantage, so nobody wants to talk with the others? Well, it's a mix of the two approaches. Uh, traditionally, we have been uh, participating in uh, national, local, or even international communities of this specific market. And there is uh, a general consensus on, um, on the way that you can share your issues, your requirements, your uh, needs. Uh, so ultimately, this leads to uh, a kind of standardization of the general needs that the typical uh, banks, bank has, at least in the EU. Uh, but uh, there is also this, this new kind of uh, approach which uh, tends to blend together the technology that you're using to provide the services and the service in its own. So this becomes really a competitive advantage. So if you're using a platform, for example, to develop, to develop your uh, mobile applications. And it allows you to go uh, into production in weeks instead of months, which is the, uh, the, the classic example. That is a competitive advantage because your, your uh, arena, are, it's not tied to the traditional customers that have uh, specific uh, accounts with, with your bank, but you, you're facing the internet. So that's the, that's the challenge from the technical standpoint and governance standpoint. And that's the opportunity. So uh, definitely nowadays we see a, a number of areas where people and uh, my colleagues from other banks tend to hide their strategy because they want to keep their competitive advantage. And um, now this is, you know, it, it sounds fair at the end because um, I understand that. Uh, so uh, we want to share the general knowledge, but actually keeping the... Uh, tip of the spear for us because so we are sure that we are more competitive. You have a massive distributed organization at the end. At the beginning, we said that you, you have like 500 branch offices and local agencies, and some of them probably are in the center of Milan, so well connected, well, everything. But uh, some of them are in the mountains, right? So, very small villages, mm -hmm. not very well connected. So when you talk about uh, bank infrastructure with all these new services, okay, and fancy application, and don't you have uh, challenges to bring the same kind of services to all your customers in the same way? Absolutely, yes. And uh, you can easily guess that I don't yeah, ever get bored because of these challenges. <laughs> But uh, again, uh, I, th I see, a, again, a two-phase approach. Uh, If you rely and judge, um, you know, the, uh, the reachability of a specific user base, whether it's uh, internal or external, in uh, rural areas, for example, uh, just by the, the bandwidth that they can uh, rely on, you're not, uh, you know, expanding and, uh, and making your services evolve over time. 
So uh, ultimately, what we did is to think backwards. So what if we redesign this kind of service to take advantage of all the value that comes from uh, the Web 2.0, the uh, containerized architectures, the uh, Lambda functions or whatever, and bring it back to uh, a consumption model that mimics what the average user does at home, right? With the mobile uh, interfaces, with the, uh, uh, the tablets and stuff like that. So ultimately, uh, you are relying on a number of technology technologies that are ready for internet consumers and might be ready for the internal customers as well. And it comes uh, only down to a specific topic, and uh, it is, it is uh, how good you are with the technology that you're using in trying to figure out how to make this service available with narrow bandwidth, with high latency, and with uh, remote locations that don't they don't have uh, uh, local support or anything like that. So it teaches a lot on uh, how you can, uh, you know, optimize the, the resources that you uh, can rely on in locations where, where you cannot just buy more bandwidth or reduce the latency. Uh, and ultimately, it's a, it's a great lesson that you can reapply to internet services as well. To give you an example, we've been using uh, uh, HTTP compression for our web applications to the branches since the uh, early 2000s. Uh, and then we decided to move that approach also to the uh, internet-facing application, even if, even if we didn't uh, notice any kind of slowdown or uh, need in terms of uh, compression and uh, bandwidth reduction. So this is just an example to give you, you the idea that uh, uh, you, know, you, can, you go back and forth from the internet services that drive the innovation to the internet service that drive the business, and one is constrained by technology, the other is driven by technology. But ultimately, you can get a lot out of this kind of experience. So at the end, uh, it's all about continuous optimization. So you, you define a model. Absolutely, yes. You uh, design for it, and you want to get the best features, the best everything, and then you optimize to make it available to the you know, uh, wider audience. That's correct. In this uh, evolution of your architecture, what is the next step for your organization? Well, the next step and the... Uh the edge of what we are doing at the infrastructural and architectural level uh, is very close to, to the boundary of the, uh, of the dev teams. So we are really in this DevOps kind of phase where we are trying to mix and match uh, the, the, the knowledge that we have inside the bank to uh, bring uh, the major applications that we have uh, to another application paradigm. And uh, basically, we're trying to uh, define what's uh, a good fit for serverless architecture, for a container-based architecture, so that we can leverage the, um, the kind of uh, paradig paradigm that comes with uh, containers in general, and that could allow us to uh, have free choices when it comes to decide if you're deploying a workload on-prem, if you're deploying, deploying it to the cloud, or if you're doing some kind of hybrid scenario. In general, Generally speaking, this means to do uh, a lot of work in uh, refactoring the application architectures and uh, really having a good grasp on uh, uh, the points where you have to have statefulness for your applications and when you can have statelessness, which is ultimately what drives uh, the speed at, at which you can uh, go towards uh, the containerized uh, 
arena and the, the containerized economy, generally speaking. The refactoring part is uh, is fundamental to you know repackage the application for the new technology and then uh, give you more freedom in uh, where to deploy them. Yeah, you're right. Freedom is uh, is the key word here because uh, you're not doing this kind of refactoring for for the technology's sake. You're actually doing to uh, decouple all the elements that uh, build up your traditional coupled infrastructure and application architecture in order to have a, great, a greater and deeper knowledge of your own application stacks and uh, even uh, look at them with a, with a more critique view and uh, redefine what's needed and what's not, what can scale, what not, and so on and so forth. By adding more freedom, as we said, you will be able to move more application to the cloud. Do you see your virtual infrastructure shrinking in the future? Or, you know, the number of applications, the number of uh, services that you're planning for the future means also that you will have a growing virtual infrastructure as well as a growing, maybe exponential growth on the container cloud uh, part of your infrastructure. I think that uh, um, I think that probably the uh, the virtualized uh, uh, traditional workloads will eventually shrink in number, and that's because uh, the 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 whole uh, container and Kubernetes and cloud native and serverless thing is not only good technology. It really allows people that are involved in the application lifecycle to really work better. So even if you think at software houses, which uh, traditionally speaking, don't uh, care too much about the, the packaging of, uh, of their artifacts, it really changes the way they interact with their customers and the, the quality of the things of the things that are they're providing. So I think that these uh, actors, the developers in the first place, are going to drive this move towards the, the containers and ultimately, that, that is going to move a lot of, uh, of workloads uh, towards the containerized uh, application. So uh, that means that you, you're planning uh, to make the containers your, uh, um, your atomic unit, okay, somehow. And Kubernetes is the orchestration layer, okay? That could be delivered on premises or on the cloud in an hybrid fashion. Does it mean that you want... Uh, uh, push too much on the services provided by uh, major players like Amazon or Microsoft, for example, so that you you are you are not uh, you know uh, exiting the lock-in from the MyFrame to enter in the lock-in of the cloud provider. Hmm. That, that's a very good point. Uh, the general rule when it comes to uh, externalizing services uh, for uh, a regulated market like the the finance one, the bank's one, uh, is tied to the fact that you have to have a strategy to bring back what you uh, put out. So uh, it really helps to have some kind of application architecture that allows you to decouple from the specific implementation of that, uh, say, hypervisor or container uh, runtime or whatever. But if you're relying on specific services, uh, say, for example, the Amazon Pass, uh, you have to know that you don't, you, you won't find it if you're going to Azure or if you're going back on-prem, unless you can rely on some, some kind of uh, um, 
traditional framework that allows you to decouple from the specific services, but you're not taking all the advantages that those services provide in that case. So it's really challenging to, to find the sweet spot between you know going full cloud and using leveraging the services that have been have been optimized for uh, that specific cloud provider in order to shorten the application lifecycle uh, and uh, you know provide a better um, use of the actual cloud resources. And on the flip side of that, being able to uh, to keep your knowledge and to move your workloads if needed to another cloud provider. Again, I don't, I don't see, as of today, an easy solution out of that. You really have to balance uh, case by case, project by project. If, you, if you're going towards a, a better suite with a, with a cloud provider or staying with a, you know, an on-prem scenario, which might cost way more in the first phases, but it gives you a, a greater freedom with the evolution of your application. I totally agree with you. So it's uh, you have to evaluate uh, case by case and understand uh, uh, what you really need. Uh, sometimes you can uh, you know, afford to buy a specific service from a provider because uh, it can help you to deliver quicker your application, but actually that becomes a small lock-in that you will pay later. And that's uh, quite challenging. So that was a very nice conversation, PJ. Thank you very much uh, for uh, your insights on the banking industry, uh, on the infrastructure, on the fact that now it's uh, data governance could be very tough for uh, for you guys. So where our listener can find you if they want to dig a little bit deeper on uh, what you do every day. I think the easiest way to find me is through my LinkedIn profile. So I invite you to contact me there and we'll chat. Very nice. And uh, the website for your bank? Yeah, it's www.popso.it. Thank you very much, Vijay, and bye-bye. Thank you, Enrico. It was a great pleasure. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this episode of Voices in Data Storage, please check out the other ones. They're available wherever you find your podcast of choice. Multi-cloud data storage and mobility are the focus of the latest report Enrico wrote for GigaOM Research. To find out more about how data storage is evolving in the cloud era, download the single report or subscribe to GigaOM Research for future forward advice on data-driven technologies, operations, and business strategies.